I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakaptan. The day has finally come. We're going to hear of Marcus's love for the one, the only, Maximus. Unfortunately, though, this isn't the Maximus of gladiator fame. This is Claudius Maximus. So sorry to all you Russell Crowe fans. But on the bright side, the sequel, or maybe the prequel to the gladiator movie is coming soon, so you can look forward to that. Before we hear about Maximus, I have three things to share with you. Number one, we have made the difficult decision to discontinue the practical cynicism and practical Buddhism segments of the show. We made this decision for a simple reason. I can't do seven days of production. It's too much. Both Eric and Emma have retained ownership of all their content and have the full support of myself and Kai should they decide to stand those podcasts up as independent productions on their own. It is unclear whether or not they will, either in the short term or the long term, but if they do, and for what it's worth, we hope they do, they will have our full moral support and we'll promote their shows here on Practical Stoicism and you'll be the first to know if they decide to stand them up independently. Number two... This May the 21st, which is a Sunday at 11 a.m. U.S. Mountain Time, Kai and I will be hosting our second workshop. It costs $16 to register, and the focus of the discussion is, are they stoic? During this workshop, we will explore contemporary figures and assess their approach to things like ethics and morality from the stoic vantage point. Is Jordan Peterson a stoic, for instance? A lot of people think he is, but is he? The point of this workshop is ultimately to help you to identify what it means to be Stoic and what positions are or are not, strictly speaking, Stoic or Stoicism-inspired. The event is live. It is also recorded so that you can watch it if you can't make it at the exact time, and you can learn more by going to actualstoicism.com. And then number three, lastly, I am turning 40 on May 30th. Zeus help me. But I won't be doing it in Colorado because this Friday I am departing for Newcastle, England to spend nearly two months working with Kai in person. I'm very excited about this as I've never been to any other country outside of the U.S. except Haiti for some mission work I did so many years ago. I'm also, of course, excited that Kai and I will be in the same time zone. 
So expect many photos of Kai and I holding hands and skipping together through green meadows like hobbits. Obviously, I'm Frodo. Our publishing schedule is not going to change throughout this time. This is not a holiday. I'm very much still working uh, in production and other things. It is simply a change of venue for me. If anything, it's actually likely that we'll be doing more work as a result of being not only in the same time zone, but in the same house as one another. Okay, so with those things out of the way, let's get into today's meditation, which comes from book one and reads as follows. From Maximus, I learned self-government and not to be led aside by anything and cheerfulness in all circumstances as well as in illness, and a just admixture of the moral character of sweetness and dignity, and to do what was set before me without complaining. I observed that everybody believed that he thought as he spoke, and that in all that he did, he never had any bad intention, and he never showed amazement or surprise, and was never in a hurry, and never put off doing a thing, nor was perplexed or dejected, nor did he ever laugh to disguise his vexation, nor, on the other hand, was he ever passionate or suspicious. He was accustomed to do acts of beneficence, and was easy to forgive, and was free from all falsehood. And he presented the appearance of a man who could not be diverted from right, rather than that of a man who had been improved. I observed, too, that no man could ever think that he was despised by Maximus, nor ever venture to think himself a better man. He had also the art of being humorous in an agreeable way. So Maximus sounds like the all-around best fellow, doesn't he? Marcus credits him with instilling many of our favorite emperor's hallmark qualities. Self-government, the ability to regulate one's own business and to do so well, and in that mission of self-government, to not be led astray by anything, to not be made less good at self-government by distractions of the day, prioritizing without exception his own character over anything else. And isn't that one of the most central qualities of Stoicism, if not the most central quality? Character above all? And since good character is reflected in our acts, doesn't it mean that Maximus taught Marcus how to do the right thing all the time, or at least as frequently as a non-sage is capable? I observed that everybody believed that he thought as he spoke. Certainly a recurring theme of Marcus's character. If you remember from a previous meditation, we should strive to make our inner thoughts as consistent as possible with our external words, actions, or attitudes. It seems Maximus was masterful at this. In fact, much of this meditation would suggest that Maximus was approaching very near to sagehood, don't you think? If you knew nothing more of the man, would you come away with that same impression just from this text? I think I might. Nor did he ever laugh to disguise his vexation, nor, on the other hand, was he ever passionate or suspicious. This part hit home for me. How many of us laugh when we're angry so as to smooth over an impending conflict? And how often, when we do so, is it the case that we accidentally sound condescending? When we're mad, we do this sort of half-scoff, half-laugh that clearly conveys we're irritated and that frequently works against the idea we may be trying to convey, that we're not angry, that everything's fine. But Maximus would have never done this, since, as Marcus says, his words and thoughts matched. So if he were angry or vexed, he would simply say so, and try his best to work through whatever the issue was with the other person or people involved honestly and forthrightly. 
how much would our own lives improve if we were this plainly candid? And he presented the appearance of a man who could not be diverted from right rather than that of a man who had been improved. He wasn't, it seemed to others, a man who had ever been anything but morally right. He didn't become that way, he was born that way. Of course, this is just an appearance. What Marcus means to tell us is that no one ever knew him to be anything less than morally right, which at the very least means that Maximus was a man committed to being morally right always, and he was so effective at it that he wasn't the sort of man you would, say, approach to involve in some immoral dealings. Imagine being known for being so moral and upright that people would not even dare to bring immoral thoughts or plans to you. And what does it say of us and our character when our friends feel the need to ask whether, for example, we'll be driving home after a few beers at the bar? That means they think we might, instead of them assuming that of course we wouldn't. And that says something about their judgment of us, of course, and we can't control that, but it also suggests something about our character, and wouldn't it be great if it didn't suggest those sorts of things? If our friends didn't have to ask if we were going to drive after a few drinks because they knew there was no way we would ever do that? I observed, too, that no man could ever think that he was despised by Maximus, nor ever venture to think himself a better man. I actually thought of Little John when I read this. I'm not suggesting that Little John of Robin Hood fame was a sage, but I remember, I think, that he was spoken of like this. Also, Benkei of Yoshitsune and Benkei fame. These sidekicks were the better men of these duos, so it is said. They had strong hearts, willing souls, and were fiercely loyal. People knew of them that they were kind-hearted and jovial, but they also knew despite that outward kindness, sometimes presenting as less than serious, that internally, there were simply no better men than they. That's not exactly the same as what Marcus is saying about Maximus here. Maximus would have been still better than these men, if we're to trust Marcus's account, but it did remind me of little John and Benke all the same. Maximus was a man who you knew was too good to ever be holding a grudge or a secret hate and that there was simply no way, as much as you'd hope, that you could be a better man than he was. And then finally, he had also the art of being humorous in an agreeable way. This also reminded me of the aforementioned sidekicks. Nothing suggests the sage can't be good-humored, after all. In fact, there's something to suggest that he would be or she would be. And it's important to note here and to consider that the word humorous may mean something different than funny here. Humor in antiquity could be translated as referring to someone's general disposition, so Marcus could be saying that Maximus had a generally agreeable disposition, or humor, an agreeable humor. But I rather like the idea that he had a good sense of humor, in the contemporary sense, as in ha-ha laughing and giggles and such. So perhaps Maximus could be unserious at the proper times without being truly unserious at heart knowing when it was appropriate, in other words, to joke around. That reminds me in particular of Benke, who was an infamous joker, but also a monk of extreme piety, which, now that I think about it, also reminds me of Master Splinter in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films, where he makes a funny, but perhaps I'm reaching, if not simply dating myself a bit too articulately. Consider today who the best person in your life is. Who is your Maximus? 
Who in your life is so unfailingly good that you'd be ashamed to be vicious in their presence? Is it a parent, a friend, someone else? If you'd like, come and share that with us in the Discord community. We're set to cross 700 members this week, which I think is insane and very cool. And we'd love to have you be the one to put us over that 700 mark. You can join for free at stoicismpod.com forward slash discord. And please remember to go to actualstoicism.com to register for our upcoming workshop. Thank you for listening today. And until next time, take care. 